Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. It's your host with the most, Chris. I hope everyone's having a fantastic day today. I know I am. So a couple of things uh, before we get started, at least big news outside of the podcast for me in my personal life, if you guys can obviously see. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music, I'm on all of them. You guys can see that I have some stoles on. These are actually my graduation stoles. I am graduating from college this upcoming Saturday. I'm very excited for me to finish graduating and finishing this chapter and this part of my life and getting to share with you guys. So for those of you that don't know, I have been in college. When I first started this podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm a senior right now or I'm about to graduate. So I was a senior in the fall semester when I first started the podcast and now it is officially time for me to walk the stage, get my college degree, and then move on to the next chapter in my life. I'm very excited. It was a lot of work, very tiring, but for this episode, I thought since it's such a special occasion, I'm going to put on the stoles. This is one of the ones I got from an organization I'm from, another one I got, and then my actual graduation stoles. If you guys can see it on YouTube, this is the actual uh, Texas Tech uh, stoles that I'm going to be wearing. If you guys are listening to this on Amazon, uh, music, po Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, I have some graduation stoles. I have a cord. Very excited. So I'm going to be wearing it for this episode. Like I said, big moment. So as of this recording, I'm recording this on a Wednesday. So you may uh, listen, you may get the episode on a Thursday. So I will be graduating this upcoming Saturday. So very excited for that. So I wanted to get this episode out before then. And that way I can get everything going. Um, like I said, I'm very excited. And I wanted to get this kind of you know, on the road and to kind of just, you know, share with you guys what's going on outside of the podcast. Very excited. But now with me graduating college, I'll have a little bit more time to work on the podcast, which I'm very excited about. That's another part of my chapter that I'm really excited for and going into the future with, with all this, very excited. And also, you know, outside of the podcast to kind of keep talking about it, I actually got in contact with uh, Felipe Fontes. He's part of the Caps Off podcast i got in contact with him he was very insightful you know i'm just talking to him you know bouncing off ideas seeing what i can do to improve the podcast and see what i can do going from here forward for you guys so that way the podcast can be a little bit more fun help out with maybe some social media stuff so shout out to felipe for helping me out a very nice guy check out the caps off podcast there are a bunch of great guys <laughs> if you guys love to hear people you know arguing about football stuff and just kind of you know kind of get that vibe of like a group of friends just talking about sports they're they're a perfect podcast to go listen to i listen to them personally big fan of theirs but i just want to say a a special thank you to Felipe, you know, helping me out. So hopefully that these are going to improve a little bit more with the podcast going forward. And now with me finishing school, I will have a little bit more time to dedicate my, you know, dedicate towards the podcast so things can be better for you guys. And it can also be better, you know, for me. And I could be even more proud of this work, the work I'm putting in for this podcast for you guys to enjoy and listen and be able to grow and expand to a bigger audience. But some other stuff going on you know, on the podcast before I start talking to the topic, giving you my opinions and seeing what's going on. I got a bet going on with a good friend of mine. His, friend, his name is Tito. I got a bet going on with Tito. And this is how much I believe in Baker Mayfield. This is how much I believe in him. I made a bet with my friend Tito. I will make sure to mention him about this. We made a bet. And this is our bet. If Baker Mayfield and the... Tampa Bay Buccaneers can make the playoffs, whether it win the division or the wild card, doesn't matter where they place. If they can make the playoffs, 
he has to wear my Oklahoma OU Baker Mayfield jersey to school. Keep in mind, we both go to Texas Tech. He has to wear it, and he has to wear it throughout the day and to an event. Now, however, if I lose, if I lose this bet and Baker Mayfield does not, does not make it into the playoffs, for some of you that don't know, I'm a Red Sox fan through and through. I've been a big Red Sox fan for a long time. I just don't talk about baseball that much on this podcast just because I like the NFL a little bit more, focus more on there. If I lose this bet, if the Baker Mayfield does not make the playoffs with the Bucks, then I have to wear a New York Yankees hat for a whole day, and I have to wear it on an episode of the podcast. Um, I took the bet. I said, I believe in Baker Mayfield. I think they can do it, and here's why I'm going to go over it again. Baker Mayfield with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is surrounded by weapons. He has a decent running back. I believe in Rashad White. He's still there. Mike Evans, an all-pro future Hall of Famer, can still he still averages about 1,000 receiving yards. He's there. Chris Godwin's there. They have a good offensive line when they're all healthy. They're, they're top in the NFL. They have a decent to good defense in Todd Bowles, you know, being the head coach and being a defensive-minded coordinator. So with all that, they have a chance to win the NFC South or at least make the, you know at least win that division because of how weak I think the NFC South is. You know I don't know if Atlanta is going to be any good. I'm, I've been hearing projections about Bijan Robinson being this top you know generational talent. You know being in Atlanta, he's going to change everything, but it's still going to take time. You know he's not a quarterback; he's the running back. So there's only so much limitation that he has. And they're working with the second-year starter in Desmond Ritter, which technically is going to be like his first full year getting, uh, getting control of the offense. So we don't know how that's going to look. And on top of that, their defense isn't necessarily the best, in my opinion. So that's going to be another issue that, you know, that Atlanta has going forward. They're going to try to build a good young core, you know, with Desmond Ritter, seeing how good he is. B. John Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, if he ever emerges to be the fantasy god that everyone's expecting him to be. We need to see that, and we're not sure when we're going to see that. So the, I don't think the Atlanta Packers are going to do the greatest this season. Now we move on to the Panthers, who drafted the number one pick, Bryce Young. I think they're going to be better than they were last season, but I don't think they're going to make a push to win the division yet. I think yet, not yet, will the Panthers win the division. I think they will with Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is going to be good, but we're going to have to give it some time, maybe give him some more weapons. I know Adam Thielen is there, but, you know, he got replaced by Justin Jefferson. He's a little bit older. Between him and DJ Moore, I probably would have wanted DJ Moore just a little bit more than Adam Thielen, but I know Adam Thielen being a veteran wide receiver is going to help out Bryce Young, you know, in those situations. However, I still don't think they have enough you know, firepower on offense to, you know, to compete with Tampa Bay. And then they have a decent defense. I believe they have a pretty decent defense. However, do I, which defense would I take, the Buccaneers or the Panthers? I'd probably take the Buccaneers. And then we move on to the Saints, who I think is the second, you know, the second strongest to win that division is going to be the Saints. They brought in Derek Carr, you know, to help with the whole quarterback situation. Hopefully he can rebound off the horrible season he had this past year and go, you know, he can move on forward. They added Jimmy Graham to tight end. We don't know if Mike if Mike Thomas is ever going to play more than five games. Chris Olave is seeming to be a good, you know, number one wide receiver. He may have to take the role at some point. Jarvis Landry got hurt. Alvin Kamara is probably going to be suspended for a while. So the Saints right now are going to be kind of in a predicament, at least in the beginning of the season, you know, without Alvin Kamara being there. And then, who knows when Michael Thomas is going to get hurt because that guy cannot stay healthy. Hopefully, Chris Olave can, you know, carry the workload again. Who knows if Jarvis Landry is going to be there, you know, and then their defense are losing people too. So 
That's the problem I have with the Saints is that they're losing a little bit more. And I believe that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are more set up, even with Baker Mayfield coming in to, you know, take over and go from there and then have that, you know, that experience and, you know, hopefully that good of an offensive pieces around Baker Mayfield to win the division or at least maybe make the playoffs. So it's going to come down to maybe how well Baker Mayfield is going to play. But I, but the whole nonsense about him possibly you know doing so bad or the Buccaneers are going to tank to get Caleb Williams I don't really think so I think the Buccaneers are way too set up to even try to tank especially with how many weapons they have on the offensive side of the ball and how many weapons they have on the defensive side of the ball and their offensive line is being rebuilt again so that's why I believe in Baker Mayfield and that's why I believe Baker Mayfield is going to win the division and he's going to make the playoffs with the Buccaneers so that's why I'm confident enough to make a bet with my buddy Tito on if he's going to win or if he isn't going to win and get in the playoffs. So we'll keep you up to date with how that's going. And then maybe if you see me in an episode later with a Yankees hat, you know why. Or if he loses, I'm definitely going to make sure it's recorded and show you guys on social media of him wearing the jersey. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's definitely going to be a blast. Also, moving on from our, my little side bet I got with my friend, the Hall of Fame game. The preseason is about to begin. That's right. So as of this recording, it is Wednesday. So tomorrow, they're going to start the Hall of Fame game with the New York Jets and the Browns. We're going to see the Aaron Rodgers-led Jets in action. This is going to be the first time we're all going to see them. And then now with the Browns, very excited. Football season's almost here, everybody. That means, you know, everyone's getting ready for their fantasy their fantasy drafts, I know I gotta, I'm gotta. i waiting on that to get started. You know, we're going to start seeing how some of the rookies that are coming in are going to look and how well they're developing, how new players on new teams is going to look. We're going to see how Aaron Rodgers is going to look with the New York Jets and all the stuff they've added and see if they can put it together and possibly make a push into the playoffs this time. I know last year they were close, but now they're definitely have a ch they definitely have a chance to make a push, but we're going to have to see how it looks with Aaron Rodgers and this newly led Jets team. So very excited for that. I know everybody else is. The NFL season's almost back. Preseason is about to begin. We're all excited. Here we go. So going into the first topic for today. So there was videos of Dak Prescott in training camp, you know, three interceptions in training camp, turning the ball over, and everyone's freaking out. Everyone's saying it's not looking good and all this stuff. But am I worried? No. I'm not worried about Dak Prescott because it is training camp. We do have to keep that in mind. It's the start of a brand new season. It's a brand new offense that he has to, you know, understand with Mike McCarthy now calling the plays. Kellen Moore's not there anymore. And he's working with a brand new wide receiver in Brandon Cooks. So all that stuff is going to take time to build, at least on the offensive side. And on top of that, he is practicing against... It, one of the best, or if not the best, defense in the NFL in the Dallas Cowboys defense with Stephon Gilmore, Trayvon Diggs, who just got a new contract, Micah Parsons, who's throwing Tyron Smith like all over the place. So all that stuff Dak Prescott has to practice with. So him th turning the ball over three times in training camp, it's just training camp. It's not something to be overly you know worried about. It's not something that I'm gonna you know lose my marbles over because we haven't played. He has not played against anybody yet he has not played in the regular season he has not played in the preseason if anything if anything i would want this to happen now instead of going into the season because if he starts throwing three interceptions in one game then we're in a problem you know in the you know week say week one of the giant against the giants he throws three interceptions now we got a problem because he's turning the ball over more again 
So I'm happy that it's happening now in training camp so he can, you know, work it out with either the wide receivers or he can work it out with Mike McCarthy and, you know, seeing what play schemes work against what or, you know, how far he can throw it or where he needs to, you know, get the timing right, get the pressure right, you know, all that stuff. It's a lot of little things when you go into training camp. It just is. You know, it's a lot of things, you know, kinks and stuff. Who knows how long they've been out of, you know, training or throwing the ball. Usually NFL players, you know, they work out in the offseason and, you know, try to make sure they're still sharp whenever training camp rolls around or OTAs. But it still happens. You know, it takes a second. It's Football is that kind of sport where you have to always, you have to be consistently playing to get better or to at least keep your touch on it. It's the same way with ba how basketball works too. You don't play basketball for a long time and you just pick up a ball and try to hoop again. It ain't going to work. It's the same way when you play football. You haven't played football in a long time. Guess what? You're going to lose your touch on your route. You're gonna get, if you're a quarterback, you're going to lose a little bit of your you know, arm strength, the accuracy, you know, how much you need to put on the ball, stuff like that. So it's little stuff. And that's what training camp and OTAs are for, to start working some stuff out, you know, or the new offense that's being built around, you know, what Mark McCarthy wants to do and, you know, making the offense a little more simpler than how Kellen Moore made it last season. It's just stuff that Dak Prescott is getting used to and everyone is getting used to. It's not something to be of a concern about because, it's something new. He has to figure it out. It was the same situation when Kellen Moore came in and took over with death with Dak Prescott. It's it's gonna be the same thing. He needs to, you know, understand, you know, what where people are gonna be and stuff like that. And also with Brandon Cooks, you know, he's a speed demon. He's like the fastest receiver they have in the on the roster right now. That's something else he needs to get down because he can get downfield very fast and he can burn corners really you know in a heartbeat so that's another thing he's trying to get down and he already has that good chemistry with cd lamb i already saw the videos with him throwing the ball to cd he's making one-handers you know he's beating he's being the defense all that stuff and you know he already has good chemistry with him he has kind of good chemistry with michael gallup i think he lost a little bit of speed because of the acl injury you know i think he's just as fast as cd i know he used to be a little bit faster than cd but not anymore but however Either way, it's still, you know, chemistry he needs to build with Brandon Cooks. He's trying to read a defense. I'm sure Dan Quinn is, you know, create, trying to create defensive schemes to stop these high-level offenses like the Philadelphia Eagles that they're going to have to face against, like Aaron Rodgers and the Jets or the 49ers. You know, those teams that they're going to see, you know, either come this season or come playoff time, Dan Quinn's getting them ready. So they're putting them up against Dak Prescott, you know, who can facilitate a top offense. And if they can somehow pressure him, then they're going to be fine going into the going into the season. For Dak Prescott, if he can somehow beat a, a really good defense in practice, he should, in theory, be able to compete with other defenses. So I think that with all that said and done, Dak Prescott is nothing to worry about right now because it is in training camp, those videos of him turning the ball over. He's not the only one. Like, the only reason I believe that they're harping on him now is because the comment he made about guaranteeing the interceptions lowering. So that's the issue I'm having with this whole, you know, comment about the interceptions and, you know, bashing on him for throwing so many interceptions in, in training camp. He's already thrown three. That's the only reason. If he didn't say anything, then I think this whole situation would be, you know, under the bridge and no one would be talking about it. But with him making that comment, now everyone has a microscope under him. And he always has a microscope. He's the quarterback for America's team. He's always going to have it. So... With that being said, I'm not worried about Dak Prescott and the three interceptions in training camp. It's training camp. He's supposed to make mistakes. 
You know, that's how you live and you learn. You learn more from your mistakes than you do succeeding. So that's something to keep in mind for Dak Prescott, you know, going into the season. Now, if this translates into the season, then it's a, then we're going to have a whole nother problem. But right now, it looks like he's trying to work out the kinks with the offense. And Mike McCarthy, he's getting a rhythm. He's, he's practicing against one of the best or if not the best defense in the NFL. So it's going to be tough overall. But as long as he can work out the kinks by the start of a new season, then I think we're going to be okay. Alrighty, so next topic for today's episode. Sean Payton is starting drama with Nathaniel Hackett, the new coach in New York for the New York Jets. All kinds of craziness, drama. I'm loving it. Sean Payton you know, made some comments about Nathaniel Hackett and about how poorly the coaching is going, how it went in Denver. Now, my thing with this whole comment is, I mean, I don't disagree. I agree with Sean Payton. Like, they did horrible. They were not good last season with Nathaniel Hackett coming in and coaching the Denver Broncos because they were so bad. They were a team that was projected to, you know, compete with Kansas City. And then they were the laughing stock towards the end of the season. They were nowhere close. And Nathaniel Hackett almost ruined Russell Wilson's chance of getting in the Hall of Fame because now everyone was questioning the integrity of Russell Wilson. So with all that, yeah, Sean Payton does have a does have a right to complain or say that, you know, make the comment about, you know, the coaching was not great last season because he's working with the talent that, you know, Nathaniel Hackett had last season and he did not do great and he's seeing what he can do with Russell Wilson and things must be going good over there in training camp for him to make that comment. Now there was a Nathaniel Hackett like I guess he commented like he broke a code for coaching and whatever the un, that unwritten rule or the sacred code of coaching is you don't you don't criticize how someone did you know how you know how bad someone coached the team here's the thing it's not that you know it was a secret like oh like if, you know he kind of did bad or maybe he should have not done bad he did bad he was horrible last season the broncos became a big laughing stock in the nfl last season when they were projected to compete with kansas city with the la chargers they were projected to be one of the top teams to possibly beat Kansas City and maybe, maybe win the division. Maybe. It's a long shot, but they had a better chance than the Chargers and the Raiders last season. That's what they were projected. But with how bad the, the coaching went and how bad that season just went from top to bottom, that there there is no way to not comment about that. Like there isn't. Even if it's an unwritten, you know, unspoken rule it happens, you know, people talk, people are going to talk. Just Sean Payton just came out and said it to the public. That's the only difference. I'm sure everyone's had their opinions. I'm sure that locker room felt the same way whenever they were losing so many games and they were not able to move the offense. Whenever Nathaniel Hackett got fired and the interim coach came in, they actually were averaging more points on offense than with Nathaniel Hackett. So it wasn't good. It wasn't just something that, you know, was unforeseen or like you know someone's opinion that's a little like you know out there in left field it was that nathaniel hackett was not a good coach he was not fit to be a head coach in denver and that was very evident we all saw it we all made those comments at first everyone was questioning if it was russell wilson maybe having an off season then everyone realized nathaniel hackett is just a bad coach he should have not been the head coach and he got fired so it's not something that's like you know, he did this whole thing where, you know, it was a couple seasons and it was like, you know, it was a teeter-totter or, or some sort of situation like that. Or, you know, maybe they spent, maybe like he spent like a couple of years there and it just didn't work out. It wasn't that. He got fired before the end of the season. He was out. 
he wasn't good. And Sean Payton is just making that known that he wasn't good. That's just his personality. He's been like that. Especially seeing that probably the people he's working with in Denver and kind of seeing, you know, how good Russell Wilson probably really is. He's thinking, no, the coaches are, the coach was just horrible. It was co horrible coaching from top to bottom on that offensive side. The only up that they had on that Denver Broncos team last year was the defense. Patrick Sertan, the second PS2, looked great. Everybody else looked great. It was just that offense could not move the ball. And they were losing so many games. And Russell Wilson looked like he's never picked up a football in his life. It was so frustrating. I bet Denver Broncos fans were just very frustrated. I knew a guy, he was a Broncos fan. He was frustrated with how they were playing. He was calling for Nathaniel Hackett's head. And he got, you know, they got it. He got fired. And now he's with the New York Jets. So he's making, you know, Sean Payne is just making it known. So with all that said... I mean, I don't disagree with Sean Payton because we all saw it. You know, the bird's eye view, you know, doesn't lie. The film doesn't lie. They were not good at coaching. There was a couple instances where I was watching, I think, Monday Night Football, and he, he let the clock go down so much when everyone's yelling at him, call a timeout, call a timeout, we need to save time, and he wouldn't do it. So with all that said, you know, I don't think he really broke a rule. I think he was just explaining and he wasn't lying. Like, he was just, you know, he was expressing that, no, it was just bad coaching last season because I guess the talent in training camp is looking great. I guess Russell Wilson is looking great. And he's realizing that, you know, it's just the talent. The talent's great. It's just the coaching. The coaching could not keep up with the talent. And now that was the problem with, you know, the Denver Broncos. It's just the coaching was not good, and they all suffered. Russell Wilson's integrity and his legacy was questioned. After this season ended, everyone was wondering if was Russell Wilson really the was he really the the reason why the Seattle Seahawks did well, or was it Pete Carroll? Especially since Pete Carroll, who everyone projected to tank to maybe get Bryce Young, they did exceptionally well, and they were able to make the playoffs and they kept up with the 49ers. So when you, they questioned that, and then they questioned if if the Legion of Boom had a lot to do with. You know, Russell Wilson winning the Super Bowl and getting there and all that good stuff. So there was a lot of things questioned on Russell Wilson after the end of the season because of Nathaniel Hackett. So Sean Payton was within his right to explain that and express that. You know, because he, he single-handedly put Russell Wilson's career and integrity and possible Hall of Fame spot in the toilet. He was the one that ruined it for him because of how bad the season went. So with Nathaniel Hackett, you know, kind of getting butthurt about this, you know, comment that Sean Payton made. I mean, I don't think Sean Payton was out of his, was really out of his, you know, out of his realm when he said that because it's true. It really was. Like, there's no other explanation for that. There, there really wasn't. So when you look at all of that and you kind of go about it in that direction, you know, it, he's just expressing the truth and he's defending his team. That's all he's doing. And that's exactly what, you know, you expect and what you want out of, you know, your team. So with that being said, I, I just, I can't defend Nathaniel Hackett because he did so poorly and he didn't do that well. You know, that's, that was just the reality of it. It really is because he didn't do well. Guess what? You didn't coach correctly or you didn't coach well enough. You're going to get fired. It's the same thing what happens when players, when we, you know, we see that they're not doing good. We're thinking, oh, why did he, why did they make that draft pick for him? Or why, you know, why, why are they, why are they still keeping him on contract? It's the same thing with uh, Ezekiel Elliott, with a good one. When he got the big contract and he started declining, everyone was calling for his head. Everyone's calling for Jerry to cut him, trade him, do something, get him out of there. You know, 
it was all that. We were seeing everything happening, you know, with players. We see it. You know, the only difference is that players have unions and coaches don't. So coaches are a whole different, you know, a whole different argument here. However, you know, it's the same way we go about the players. You know, we criticize them. We call for teams to cut them, trade them, get, you know, get rid of them, bench him. I don't know why you signed him. I don't know why you signed a free agent. I don't know why you traded up so many picks to get them, you know, like bust in the NFL draft. All those things happen to players as well, and we all criticize them. So why does Sean Payton criticizing Nathaniel Hackett and how poorly he did, you know, was such a problem to everybody in the league and why everyone in the media had such, or why he had such a big issue with it to where Aaron Rodgers had a problem with it. So we were seeing all that stuff happen, and now, you know, I think it's just Sean Payton just telling his truth. I mean, that's the fact of the reality here. And that's all that's really happened. And I believe that's all that was really going on with this whole situation. Alrighty, so next topic for today. So more running back drama. More, more, more keeps adding up here. So Jonathan Taylor is in battles and is in a war right now with the Indianapolis Colts because of what's going on. There was reports that he was going to he had a back injury. He may not, you know, play. He might sit out because of it. And the Colts threatened to put him on the non-football injury list withholding his pay. And then Taylor came out and said, I never reported a back injury. I never reported any kind of problems like that. So now Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts are going to war with each other because of the whole uh, running back market and, and running backs feeling like they're mistreated. All this good stuff. Now... Who, who do I side with here, Jonathan Taylor or the Indianapolis Colts in this in this uh, predicament here? I side with Jonathan Taylor because of a couple things. Number one, he's the main focal point of that offense. If you take away Jonathan Taylor, they would probably want to be one of the worst teams in the NFL right now, aside of Jonathan Taylor and maybe Quentin Nelson. They're probably the two best things coming out of that offense, and you can argue Mike, Michael Pittman as well. Now moving on, they have a new quarterback, Anthony Richardson coming in. He's a rookie. He's most likely going to start all that good stuff. However, you're going you're gonna to need a solid running back and a strong running game to make sure you can level or stabilize that offense, you know, especially with a new rookie quarterback coming in because he's got to learn the ropes. He's got to learn the check me's, the read defenses, especially if he's not very good at it. You know, a running back, a strong running back and a strong running game is definitely going to help at least keep, you know, get him ready, get him NFL ready, you know, kind of get learn the offense a little bit more, read defenses a little better. All that stuff with a running back is going to help. And Jonathan Taylor will definitely take the load off of Anthony Richardson. Now, the next thing is that Anthony Richardson's athletic ability. We've all seen the highlight clips of him being athletic. So what can they do if they can't get the the you know, the air offense to go then uh, through the passing game, they can use his athletic ability and run the ball. But what are you going to need, you know, to help him, you know, open the lanes for him? Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is going to have to be a big factor in this scenario. So all those things add up together. The Colts are going to need Jonathan Taylor. You know, the Jonathan Taylor doesn't really need the Colts in a sense. You know, he needs him to sign his paychecks and, you know, make sure he can play. However, the Colts are going to need him way more you know, it's kind of the same situation I said with Saquon Barkley. He's a main focal point. He's about a good percentage, about 40% of the offense. And he helps opens up the pass game. 
he helps opens up the athletic ability of Anthony Richardson to take over. So they don't have to rely on possibly Anthony Richardson throwing the ball a lot. Especially if they're not, I mean, there's been reports of him like throwing the ball really well. But in case he does, you know, in case he doesn't throw well against other defenses, they have Jonathan Taylor to take the load off, and they don't have to rely so much on Anthony Richardson to make the big plays, or they don't have to rely on him so much this season to make the big plays. They would have Jonathan Taylor there to help him out and kind of, you know, stabilize that offense, and they can have it well balanced to where they can run the ball and they can throw it effectively. So that's why I side with Jonathan Taylor uh, with Jonathan Taylor. Now with the Indianapolis Colts, they're kind of you know trying to see if they can if they want to give him a big contract. You know if they're going to pay him a lot of money or reset the the running back market, considering it is tanking very fast. Will they do it? I don't know. Just because I think they know how important Jonathan Taylor is, but if they're willing to put him on the non-football injury list to withhold his pay if he doesn't play. It's kind of a big move and kind of a power move on the organization for the Indianapolis Colts because they're willing to show that if you don't want to play or you don't want to be a team player, we can withhold your pay and we'll put you on the non-football list, especially when, especially since people are getting the idea, uh, you know, from other like NFL players that say like, oh, I had an injury and then holds out for a season. So then that way they're on the injury list and they can still get paid while not holding out when other teams, uh, when other teams... I'm sorry, not for a contract. He's uh, Jonathan Taylor requested a trade from the Colts, and the Colts don't want to give him the trade. You know, so the idea of him, you know, you know, of him possibly holding out without losing pay, the Colts are going to come back and say no. Like we'll just put you on this other list, and you don't get paid, and you lose money. So either you have to come play. Or you gotta actually like have a have an injury. Now, Jonathan Taylor did clarify it, and he did say that he isn't injured, and he never said he had a back injury. So whoever was telling the sources, you know, they told them wrong. You know, that's fine. However, though, you know, with him requesting a trade and wanting out of the Colts, and the Colts are refusing to do it, they will not bite on this whole scenario. So. What what this really means for me is like if he really wants a trade or he wants to get out, out of there for the Colts and what he may have to do, if he's willing to lose money, then he can try that route. If he doesn't want to lose money, you know, have a decent season, you know, even if he's not as productive and if they sh if he shows that him not producing, at least the offense not being good, then maybe he can use that as leverage or use some sort of leverage against them, especially since uh, prior to last season, he was one of the best running backs in the league. And I believe he has the potential to be like one of the best running backs in the league. I believe like he he can be that running back, you know, with maybe with another team that may appreciate him a little bit more than maybe the Indianapolis Colts have. So Jim Irsay is really starting war with a with his star running back and probably one of his top you know stars on the team. Like I said, Anthony Richardson, we don't know what he's going to look like yet. He claims that he can throw the ball and his athletic ability is going to help him a lot. I don't disagree with that. However, we don't know what he's going to look like just yet. Jonathan Taylor has already proven he can be a top running back. Problem was that the offense could not throw the ball so well to where they always had to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor, and that's why he didn't do so well last season is because they had to rely on him. And guess what? When they always relied on him and the quarterback couldn't produce, that whole offense couldn't go. So that whole thing with Jonathan Taylor, you know, that, that proves he's the focal point of that offense if they always go to him to try to, you know, help him get out of a problem, especially with how bad the Colts did last season. So... Looking forward to like what's going to happen, you know, between Jim Ursay and the Colts with Jonathan Taylor. Will they give him a trade? I don't think so. I don't, I, unless you give him a real good deal, Jim Ursay may think about it. 
However, it seems like he doesn't want to get rid of uh, Jonathan Taylor. He needs him. But Jonathan Taylor wants to leave. So it's going to be interesting within the next coming weeks or before the season begins on what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor. I'll make sure you guys keep you guys updated with what's going on. And um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting fight. And it's going to be an interesting battle between the Indianapolis Colts and Jonathan Taylor because of this scenario going on and everything they got to get done. Alrighty, so moving on. I said last episode that I would talk about this. Um, where's my stand with the running back situation? For those of you that don't know what's going on with the running backs, they're feeling that they're underappreciated. You know, they're worn out by age 27. They don't get paid a lot of money and all this stuff. A lot of them want, you know, more money compared to maybe some other players. You know, there's other, you know, people on the team that get paid more than him. All that good stuff. So where's my stand on it? And I, I thought about this for a little bit here. And this is my stand on the running back situation. My stance on the running back situation is that there's two scenarios where you should get paid pretty good money. Number one, you're a generational talent. So what that means is that you're an Adrian Peterson type, Emmitt Smith, Barry Sanders, Frank Gore. Now I say Frank Gore because he lasted so long in the league. If you're a top you know, generational talent like they are, Chris Johnson, another one then I believe you should get paid at least a good amount of money because you are gonna because you are a generational talent and just because of that reason. And it ties into the second reason. The second reason why you should get paid a lot is because you are the main focal point of the offense. Look at Saquon Barkley. He's 40% of that offense. Jonathan Taylor is 40% of that offense. If you're Derrick Henry, you're about 99% of the offense. So when you put those two giant factors together, generational talent or your main focal point of the offense, you should get paid because you are carrying a workload. Like I said, we saw it with Saquon Barkley when Daniel Jones was not good. He got the ball a lot and the Giants did better. When Derrick Henry came in for the Titans and exploded onto the scene, the Titans got a whole lot better with him. When Jonathan Taylor came in for the Colts, they did a whole lot better barring last season because he got hurt because they had to rely on him way too much. Let's even go far. Let's even go as far as this. When Dak Prescott first came into the league, you know, Ezekiel Elliott helped him out as a rookie, and Ezekiel Elliott was kind of planned to be the focus of the offense. Christian McCaffrey, when he went to the Panthers, he was the main focal point of the offense. So when you see those two var variables and you put them together, those should be the reasons why you should be getting paid a lot of money. If you're generational talent or if you are you know, the focal point of the offense. If you're, if you are the person that's around the offense around, then you should get paid as so. You shouldn't get paid pennies to the dime or less than another person, even though you are, you know, the big workhorse here. However, here's where I don't think you should get paid money. You should not get paid money if you're neither of those two. Here's an example. Austin Eckler is an example. He's the one that wanted to lead the charge. He did the exact same thing that he was that he's fighting against. Here's what I mean. Melvin Gordon, when he was with the Chargers, he got a big contract and he started declining. Austin Eckler, an undrafted free agent, came in, took his spot, and now Melvin Gordon is not with the Chargers anymore. He did not do well with the Broncos. I don't even know where he's at. I think he's with another team, but I don't know where he's at. I think he's with the Ravens. I don't remember. But whatever, Austin Eckler was an example of that. Where he can where they can find someone else to bring in who is cheaper than probably their starting running back and he produced more. So Austin Eckler was an example of this happening and it worked. And you know, NFL owners were able to see that they did not have to pay top running backs to come in and you know perform at a high level. They were able to find someone else 
for a lot cheaper, like his situation, he was an undrafted free agent, and he came in and took over for the offense. Tony Pollard is another example. Ezekiel Elliott was a round one pick. I believe Tony Pollard was like a round four for Memphis. And it was both him and Zeke. Guess what happened at the end of the season? Zeke got cut because he declined so much. And Tony Pollard emerged as the star running back in, in Dallas. So we've seen two examples of this happening. So it's not like it's something that's not, you know, it's something like, oh my God, it's, it's new. Like we've seen the replacements of running backs happen. And that's what I mean by if you're not of the two variables I mentioned before, which is generational talent, or if you're not a focal point of the offense, then you shouldn't get paid. You shouldn't get paid close to top dollar money or most of the salary cap if you're not even the main focus of the of the offense. Like I said, Austin Eckler is an example. He's not the focal point of the offense. It's Justin Herbert. That's why fantasy fantasy players love having Austin Eckler because he gets thrown the ball a lot. Tony Pollard can do the same thing. He can run the ball and he can catch. He can do both. Cordell Patterson. Another example, he was a receiver, return man, turned running back. That's another example. He replaced the running back. Debo Samuel, who was a wide receiver, came in for the 49ers and played running back when they ran out of running backs. And he emerged as a, you know, he apparently can play both positions. He doesn't want to because he doesn't want to get hurt, but he can play both. So that's another example of, you know, a person can come in and play running back if they find someone. So that way they don't have to bend the dollar of it. It's not like it's the quarterbacks where you have to bend to the whim of the quarterbacks or maybe a wide receiver, especially since the landscape of the NFL is changing more from a runs first offense to maybe passing and more of an air raid thing going on. And that's been and that's been kind of the trend for the past few years. And now with the running backs, you know, kind of getting mad and saying, well, well we don't want to play this position because we're run out by 27 and we don't have a job after that. You know, that's up to their discretion and what people want to do. However, that's my stand with the running backs is that if you're generational talent, you can and you or your focal point of the offense, sometimes you're both, then you can get the pretty good money or at least get a deal going on. But if you're players that can be replaced, like how Austin Eckler took over for Melvin Gordon, Tony Pollard took over for Ezekiel Elliott, Debo took over for the 49ers running backs. We've seen examples of this, so it's not like it's something that we've never heard of before or they have to stick with a running back or whatever. We've seen it happen so many times. It's been a thing. So I think that with this whole situation, that's kind of where I stand on it is if, if you're going to pay them top dollar, you have to make sure they're generational or if they're going to, you know, if they're the focal point of the offense, you know, just to make sure they can last a while. If there's someone that you could possibly find and replace, it's going to be something that's a little bit harsher because it's the sad reality of the running backs. It, it just really is. It's a sad reality, but it's something that we all have to kind of accept is that, you know, there are other running backs that can come in and, you know, take over. A recent one is uh, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. The Lions traded away Jamal Williams to the Saints, and then they brought they drafted a, a rookie running back out of Alabama to come compete with DeAndre Swift. Why did they do that? I have no idea. I thought Jamal was pretty good. However, that's another example of them pulling that off. The What's it called? I think the Miami Dolphins, are just, they just keep shuffling through running backs like crazy. They keep bringing in more and more and circling them out. So we've seen NFL teams doing this. And, you know, it's been a trend for a while. The only ones that haven't been, like, replaced or haven't been, you know, stomped off is the focal point of the offense running backs or generational talent. Saquon Barkley is the focal point of the offense. That's why they won't trade him away, and that's why they're trying their best to try – the Giants are trying to keep him. 
Derrick Henry, why the Titans wanted to trade him and they fired their their uh, manager for that, the GM for that. But the Titans are probably not going to get rid of him because he's the like about 99% of that offense. So he's not going anywhere. And then you look at Christian McCaffrey with the 49ers. I mean, barring the fact that he's injured, but when you take away his injuries, he's one of the best running backs in the league. And they want to keep him because he can play receiver and he can play running back. They, they won't have to rely on Debo Samuel. Jonathan Taylor is another one because they need him at running back to help the new rookie quarterback in Anthony Richardson to help stabilize the offense and go about it that way. The Cowboys have also done the same thing with Tony Pollard. They brought him in, but they know he has limitations. So they brought in Ronald Jones and they drafted Deuce Vaughn. They added more running backs to the room just in case something happens because Tony Pollard got hurt in the 49er game because he's not, you know, he's not as built as Ezekiel Elliott is. So when you put all that together, that's kind of where I'm going to stand with the running backs. I, I, don't, I don't pray for someone not to get their money. I don't, you know, pound on someone for not wanting to get, you know, extra cash or secure the bag, whatever. I don't, I don't wish for that. I don't wish down on people like that. However, when you look at the reality of it, you know, when you take it into consideration, that's why some of the running backs that got paid a lot of money and all that stuff is because they were generational or they're the main focus of the offense. And other running backs that have been in that aren't necessarily the main focus are going to be sadly replaced or they're going to get a little like a small little two year, maybe max three year contract. They're not going to get a big max contract or get a, you know, a giant extension the last five years. Like, I just don't see it happening in today's NFL. I don't see it happening and I don't see it happening with running backs that owners feel that they can replace. I don't pray for someone to get replaced. I don't, you know, wish down on somebody like that, but it is the truth of the reality we do run into that situation now in the NFL that it can happen and people can get replaced. Like I said, barring their focus, they're the main, they're the main portion of the offense or they're generational. That's going to be the two. I believe like how Bijan, everyone's predicting he's going to be a generational talent. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. We won't know until we start seeing him play. However, you know, if he doesn't turn out to be generational or the focal point of the offense, it's going to happen to him. Leonard Fournette was another example. He came in big and fast from LSU, and now he's not even with the Buccaneers anymore, and he's still looking for a team right now. So we've seen it happen, and it's gonna, it's probably going to keep happening. Miles Sanders is another example from the Philadelphia Eagles this past season. He had a great season. He still ended up on another team, and they got other people, and the and the Philadelphia Eagles got other running backs to replace him. So we've seen it happen, and it's going to probably keep happening unless, you know, unless you're generational talent or your main focus of the offense. And that's the only way it's probably ever going to change for running backs. And that's probably going to be the only way they're going to be able to figure something out, you know, outside of, you know, trying to hold out or trying to make the running backs do a big old strike against the NFL to get paid more. Cause it's a business at the end of the day. And that's what some players understand. And maybe some of them kind of don't kind of get that because it's a business at the end of the day. The owners are the ones that are in control, and they're the ones that kind of decide what's going to happen. Now, with the treatment and everything of the running backs, I think it's just a little, you know, harsh, you know, on the running backs because they do carry a giant workload. They get the ball the third most times on the offense. It's the center, the QB, and then the running back. So I think that they should get like something paid. Like I don't, I'm not saying to pay them pennies on the dollar or keep them for the rookie deals and then get, you know, get rid of them. You know, I'm just saying like. You know, if you if you're not that generational talent or you're not a main focus, then no, you probably shouldn't get, you know, a big multi-million dollar contract because it, if it's going to be worth it or not is going to be the biggest question. And we've seen, you know, running backs that have gotten big contracts 
didn't necessarily pan out. Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, we've seen it. So, you know, so we're not sure. And maybe, like like I said, there's some cases like Saquon and Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor that, you know, or Christian McCaffrey that were so good that they definitely earned it. And there are running backs out there that do deserve it. You know, like Jonathan Taylor, and I'm, I've been pleading for Saquon to get paid because he's the best thing on that offense for the New York Giants, and that's that's a fact. But when you look at other teams like Austin Eckler, he's not even the best personal. He's not even the best player on the offense. It's probably well, it's probably him and Keenan Allen. But everyone you know knows that LA likes to throw the ball, especially now with Kellen Moore coming in. So you know who knows how that offense is going to look. However, everyone knows the focal point of that offense is Justin Herbert. It's not Austin Eckler. Tony Pollard is not the focal point of the offense. He's it's probably going to be Dak Prescott and Ceedee Lamb. Uh, what's another one? Ooh, sorry. I'm I'm blanking on another team right now, but or hub uh the running backs for the Panthers they're not going to be the focal point. They're going to try to make it revolve around Bryce Young right now. <clears throat> Jacksonville that's another one. Uh, the running back for. Uh, Jacksonville, he's not the main focal point. It's Trevor Lawrence because how Dougie P runs his offense. So it's going to be, you know, stuff like that. I would say the only time it didn't really work like that was probably Greg Roman in the Baltimore Ravens when they were a really run-heavy offense. But they went through running backs like crazy too. J.K. Dobbins got hurt, somebody else got hurt, and then Lamar Jackson got hurt because he was running the ball too. So we've seen these examples of this happening. So with that being said, that's kind of where I'm going to finish with my stance on the running backs is – if you're not generational and if you're not the focal point, then there's no point in giving you, you know, a giant max contract. If it's going to be what their logic is, is we're burnt out by 27 and then we're not, like, we're kind of just tossed out. It's kind of how business works. And that's the sad reality of it, which, like I said, absolutely sucks. I would advocate people to get paid any day of the week. But being realistic and, you know, realizing that reality that, you know, running backs can get replaced is the same thing as wide receivers. They can get replaced as well. So I don't think it's just running backs. I think uh, wide receivers have the same predicament as well. You know, just probably the receivers can, the, just for sure the run receivers will last longer than the running back. But either way, you can, you know, it can happen to you. We've seen it with, you know, other positions as well. However, for running backs, it just, hopefully, hopefully they can figure something out. And I hope that, you know, at least most of them that deserve a contract for sure. Like I think Tony Pollard should get a contract. You know, I believe maybe Austin Eckler, you know, he should get something for helping out that, you know, kind of helping out, but he's not the main focus and neither is Tony Pollard. Or like a generational talent or a focal point like Saquon, he should get a he should get a contract. If Jonathan Taylor stays with the Colts, they should give him some sort of contract for him help, you know, being a big part of the offense. But with that being said, that's just where I'm going to stand with the running backs and hopefully they can figure it out sooner rather than later. Alrighty, so final topic for today's episode, who will win the AFC South, the Colts, the Jags, Houston or the Titans I'm gonna go I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are gonna win the AFC South here's why here's why I got the Jacksonville Jaguars winning the AFC South because I think overall they're gonna have a better team Dougie P is a is a veteran coach he's coached for a while he's won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles, he turned around that offense in one year. Trevor Lawrence is starting to look like the reincarnation of Peyton Manning, like we all thought he was going to look like when he came out of Clemson. Moving down to the other teams, Houston just got a new rook, uh, rookie running, uh, not running back, quarterback in C.J. Stroud. They got a new uh, head coach. They also got some a lot of rookies on their team. They lost Brandon Cooks. 
there's a lot of plot, not plot holes, but there's a lot of situ, like kind of problems that the Houston Texans have is that they're very young. We don't know what they're going to look like under this new head coach that they have and how CJ Stroud is going to look. That's going to be the biggest, uh, biggest question mark with them going into the season. I just don't think they have enough to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think now with a full season under uh, Dougie P and now they believe in him, they won the playoff game behind 27 to nothing and came back and won it. They have a chance to possibly go even further into the playoffs. So I don't think Houston, I think Houston will do a lot better than they did last season. I don't think they'll be like last, but I definitely don't think they'll, they'll beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Moving on over to the Colts. The Colts have the same problem. They have a new they have a new coach. They have a young quarterback that's going to try to figure it out. Who knows if Jonathan Taylor is going to play? That's another problem that the Colts are going to have. So I think they also have a lot of question marks, and they're not sure how it's going to look with the Colts, especially if Jonathan Taylor does not play. So if he doesn't play, then that offense may have a problem, especially running with a new rookie QB who is known for his athleticism, but not really much of his throwing. I mean, apparently for his throwing power, it's good, but his accuracy is not the best. I saw him play in college. You take away the highlights, he wasn't the best out there, in my opinion. So I think if you take a, if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play, and who, and depending on how this new offense is going to look for the Indianapolis Colts, it's going to depend on a lot of things you know, going forward for them, but I don't think that they're going to do as bad like kind of the Texans. I'm not going to think, I don't think they're going to do as bad as they did last season, but I they'll make a little improvement, but they're not going to make a big enough improvement to catch the Jacksonville Jaguars. The closest ones are probably going to be the Titans. Here's why. The Titans are getting D-hop, so they actually have a number one wide receiver to line up with Trey Banks and maybe help out Trey, uh, Trey Banks figure out his whole situation there. Derrick Henry's coming back for another season, so they have a big running back to get behind. They have a decent defense. That head coach is going to get them ready no matter what. However, the big thing is for me is going to be Ryan Tannehill and how well he's going to play and he can stay healthy. Because he did not stay healthy last season, and they suffered the consequence for it because they were not good without him. They had to go through three different quarterbacks. They had to go through Malik Willis. They had to go through uh, Josh Dobbs. And now they brought in... Um, Malik Willis and the Kentucky kid Will Levis and apparently Will Levis is, might not even be second string that's even crazier so with that all being said it's just the Titans are not looking the strongest right now you know they look a little bit better because they added De uh, DeAndre Hopkins because he he just wanted money at this point and you know they're they're looking good and he's going to be a number one uh he's going to be a number one wide receiver with the Tennessee Titans and I think that there are I don't think they're going to be I think they'll be about the same. I don't know if they'll be like as good because once they start covering DeAndre Hopkins and he's like double team to triple team, they're going to have to throw to somebody else and that's going to be another issue is they don't have another good wide receiver outside of DeAndre Hopkins. So that's going to be another thing they got to take into consideration and Derrick Henry can't run the ball, you know, 30 times a uh, 30 times a, a game cuz he can get hurt and he's getting older. I get he's big and muscular and still fast, but he still can get hurt, and that's another consideration to take in when you think about who's going to win the AFC South. But with all of that, I believe that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win the AFC South and go to the playoffs. But alrighty, guys, that's going to wrap things up on this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. This episode will be up on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Make sure you guys follow me on all my social media at CAV Sports or CAV Sports Podcast. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads. TikTok, you name it, I got it. Like I said, special thank you to Felipe from the Caps Off 
podcast for helping me out this week. Hopefully some great things are going to come out of the podcast. And again, thank you for um, people that have wished me uh, congratulations on graduating. I'm very excited. Hopefully after uh, after this episode, I will officially have a college degree. Very excited for that. But until next time, guys, I'll catch you in the next episode.